This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. If you enjoy the Spanish football podcast, why not join us at patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Every Tuesday, we have a Q&A pod out answering your questions, and we have a bonus pod, which is out on Thursday or Friday, depending on where Sid is. There is lots of bonus content for you from four euros a month or four pounds or four dollars. They're all practically the same. You get access to Al's paper reviews and the TSFP Discord. So come join us, patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Now on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. Eh? That's almost that was, like a proper podcast. Isn't I was it? just thinking that was that was very kind of public service broadcasting, magnificent. <laughs> uh, but the uh, but yeah, the point still stands. Come and be a patron; it's great. Um, hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Phil Kitchmanides. Doctor Sid Lowe is joining me as ever to discuss what happened on Match Day Nine, Sydney of this season. Um, lots of things happened. But we're probably only going to talk about one thing. No, yeah. we're going to talk about it, lots. But it was. But the it kind of is weekend. like that, isn't it? The weekends yeah. in the Classico always do feel like um, nothing else really matters, which is why it always actually feels to me like a bit of a pity when there's really good games elsewhere because they just don't get the um, spotlight they should. I watched every game this weekend, as I do every, do every weekend. weekend. Yeah. Yes, um, I even watched the Friday night game. I went to Vallecas and saw Rayo draw nil-nil against Getafe. Rayo missing a penalty and Getafe getting the point that they came for. On Saturday, uh, Girona scored a penalty in the 101st or 102nd minute, I think it was, to claim a 1-1 draw at home to Cadiz. Uh, Valencia drew 2-2 with Elche. First two goals for Edinson Cavani with Los Che. Uh, Sevilla beat Mallorca by a goal to nil. It was the first win for Jorge Sampaoli back in charge of Sevilla the goal is an unbelievable strike from 36 yards out from Nemanja Godelli he'd never scored for Sevilla in four (laughs) years and he scores the only goal of the game from 36 metres out it's their only shot on target by the way it was not particularly inspiring performance but they got the win and then Atletico Madrid won at San Mames they beat Athletic Club by a goal to nil good performance from Diego Simeone's side Antoine Griezmann scoring his 100th league goal for Los Rojiblancos on Sunday uh, Celta were beaten 2-1 at home by La Real, it's Real Sociedad's seventh consecutive win in all competitions. They're absolutely flying. There was a game at the Bernabeu, which Sydney was at. Real Madrid 3, Barcelona 1. More on that in a moment. A lot more on Espanyol 1 via the lead nil. Need to go in depth on... I'm being sarcastic, but it wasn't too bad. We saw José Lu score uh, his seventh league goal of the season. He's the top-scoring Spaniard. And Espanyol... José Lu Selección. Well, a lot of people selection, to be honest. There's a lot of people knocking on the door who probably, who probably won't go to the, probably won't go to the, to the World Cup. Not least Alex Moreno selection. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Betis's left back was absolutely brilliant in their 3-1 win against Almeria, as was Sergio Canales, as was Borja Iglesias, who scored, who might go to the World Cup. Monday night football is Villarreal against Osasuna. We're going to talk quite a bit about the Classico on today's podcast. Obviously, if there's something else that you'd like us to talk about, send us a question and we will answer it 
on tomorrow's Q&A podcast. Uh, Real Madrid 3, Barcelona 1. Afterwards, Sydney. Xavi said Real Madrid are more mature and Barca are a team in construction. Would you go along with that assessment of the, of the game and what happened? I sort of would. Um, I sort of would. And I think it's good that Xavi took on board what I think is a broader question. Because I think at times there's a risk of, of looking like uh, he's making mistakes. And I, uh, sorry, making mistakes, making excuses. And I felt like he did that a little bit yesterday. He said we didn't deserve to lose. Uh, I think you did deserve to lose. Um, and, and I think quite comfortably as well. He also talked about individual errors and he's quite right. But of course, when it keeps on happening, that feels like a systemic thing rather than individual errors, or at least it feels like a, a recurring of the same theme with the same players involved. I think the important thing in terms of judging his comment about them about maturity is not to see maturity, as is so often the case, as just shorthand for age. Because you look at the Barcelona team, and it's not the old players, with the exception of Lewandowski, who, keep, who are keeping them afloat. And it's certainly not the young players who are giving them problems. Um, with maybe one or two minor exceptions. You know, the big mistake in the first goal is Sergio Busquets and maybe Sergio Roberto. These are very mature players in theory. The players that come on and really change the game and give Barcelona the chance that actually, in truth, it had never felt like they had for the whole game until the last 15 minutes are Ferran, Ansu and Gavi. So in terms of maturity, certainly, again, if we take maturity as meaning age, those three were not the problem, the youngest players. In fact, they were potentially the solution. Um, But I think it's good that at least his response talked about a team that's kind of not there yet. Um, And I think that's that's a really significant point here, is that you can look at this game and try and find explanations for why Barcelona lost. And it's not this simple, but I do think you can look at this and say, because they're not as good as Real Madrid. Because this isn't a team that exactly knows what it's doing yet. Because this is a team, and this, by the way, doesn't reflect particularly well on Xavi. This isn't a team that, that entirely looks like it knows what it's doing. He's been there a year. Yes. Um, and, and his statistics, we are 50 games into his, his run as manager and his statistics are worse than Koeman in the first 50 games. Now, I am not going to go too hard down that route. Um, I think the statistic is interesting and I think it's worth picking up on. But I'm not going to go too hard down that route because I think you can get results that are not necessarily about the work that you do. I think that the conditioning factors are different. Kuman had Messi uh, and Xavi doesn't. He does have Lewandowski and they have spent a lot of money. And I think you're entitled to maybe expect a little bit more. But I think that if you look at the way they improved last year, particularly post-transfer window, I think there's no doubt that there was a shift and there was an improvement. I think despite this defeat and despite a feeling that I have at least that this is broader than just this defeat, you know, it's they've played all the big teams this year, they haven't beaten them. Uh, Bayern, Inter, Real Madrid, Raya Vallecano, they haven't beaten any of them. And I'm stealing your joke there, um, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> and, and I think that, that, you know, there is a broader thing there, but I also think that this is an improved team. Mm-hmm. I think this is a team that has a, a sense of identity, although I must admit, I think there's a disconnect between the rhetoric of that identity and the reality of it. I don't think what it's What do you mean by there. that? By, I think Xavi talks about an approach mm-hmm. that we don't always actually see. So yes, they want the ball, so that's true. Yes, they want the build-up, so that's true. Yes, they want to open the pitch and they do that, so that's true. But then what we tend to see is that the creative responsibility is loaded onto Dembélé. Mm. Or it's put the ball into the box. 
And that's not really Xavi's style. So I think there's, there's, if you like, there's the beginnings of Xavi's identity, at least in terms of how he talks. But then the reality isn't always there. Um, and I personally think, and you know, we'll come on to this properly in a minute, that what happened yesterday was they had a lot of possession and they circulated the ball very, very slowly mm. without going anywhere. It really wasn't um, particularly good. Um, so that's where I see the disconnect. And, and I, think, I think there are some flaws in this, but I do think this is an improved team. And I think Xavi is right, for example, when in midweek, after being beaten by Inter, he says, we played well in Milan. We played well in Munich. We could have beaten Inter tonight. All of those things are true. Whereas last year when they got knocked out of the Champions League and last year when they got beaten by um, Bayern, there was a sense that this is just who we are. Yeah. We are no better than I this. I mean, they were playing with Ferran Jukla, Abde and Luke de Jong. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, no, no. I mean, that's, that's the nuance in this. This is what I mean. So I, it's curious because I look at this Barca team and I think there are improvements. I think there are things are doing well. Let's not forget that they went into this Clasico having won all but one game and having only conceded one all season. And, and top so of think, the table. Well, look, <laughs> and top of the table. You've got to cut them some slack. You've got to say that there's progression and there is. But the concern would be then you watch a game like this and again, some of those weaknesses, the vulnerability to a long ball, the inability to defend, the slowness, in my opinion, of, of the use of the ball, the inability to create really clear chances. Now, I think there's one exceptionally clear chance for Lewandowski, but I don't think there's a huge amount else. I don't think Lunin makes loads of great saves. Um, and, and that, for me, would be the concerning thing. For me, there is one move in this game that defines this game possibly better than any of the others. And it's one where Barca had the ball for about two minutes, moved it around, went from side to side. There was a little bit of whistling from the Madrid fans, a little bit of a sense of kind of, you know, don't let them have this ball. And Madrid just kind of... I mean, it genuinely, there was a moment during this move when Modric was walking, right? And Madrid are lined up on the edge of the area, basically waiting for Barcelona. Barcelona progressed up the pitch, got to the edge of the area, saw this kind of white wall in front of them, stopped, turned around and went back again. Mm. And it's, it's like there wasn't anyone prepared to say, OK, how do we find a way through this? Now, if Dembélé is your creative outlet in that kind of situation when there's no space, can he find a way through? Yes, occasionally, because his feet are quick, because he ha- does have a way through, because he can take people on, because he has one-on-one. But he doesn't always have that subtlety. And you sort of think to yourself, that kind of push the other team right back if you're using the ball quickly and you open a space, it can work. Or if you've got Messi, maybe it can work. But in this current Barcelona team, I don't think that's necessarily the natural role for Dembélé. I think it's a role for, for, for Pedri if he's playing well, mm-hmm. but maybe not for Dembélé. And, and so I, I thought there were more structural and systemic flaws in evidence with Barcelona yesterday than I, than I think I've seen for most of the rest of the season. But some of them were evocative of what we've seen in previous games. And defensively, Absolutely, it was the kind of stuff we've seen in previous games. Easy to say this now, and hindsight is a wonderful thing, but was this the the right Barcelona starting eleven? There was no Gavi. We had Sergio Roberto playing at right back. Um, right, so before the game, uh, when I arrived at the stadium, I said to people I didn't understand why Gavi wasn't in the team. Mm-hmm. I did understand why De Jong might be, but I didn't understand why Gavi wasn't. And although Sergio Roberto, I think, was basically their only choice at right back, Unless, of course, they'd gone uh, for Koundé it wasn't. there and put... Uh, yeah. Yes, hang on, here we go. Unless they'd gone for Koundé at right back and put an extra centre-back in. Or but then who, played Marcus Alonso at left back and Balde at right or, back. Yes, like he did the other week. alternative. Yeah. The, the, the Balde thing I thought was interesting because Balde seemed to me to be kind of frightened of Valverde, which I was surprised by. Uh, I thought Val, Val, Balde as, a, as, a, as an athlete, and although he's on the wrong side of the pitch, but turned onto his left foot because the likelihood is that... that 
Vinicius would come inside might have been a solution. But I do think their, their, their options there were relatively limited. Um, so, yeah, I, I think both of those were questionable decisions. I think it's easy, as you say, to say with hindsight. But I think both of those were. But as I say, my, my feeling with this is that this was a broader thing. Now, I don't want to be a smart ass here. No. But two weeks ago, I made a very, very bold statement, which I then rode back from a little bit because you immediately sort of said, are you seriously saying this? But I said October would end their season. You did actually say that. You literally said those words on this very, very podcast. Now, I'm not saying it will, and I'm not saying it has with these results either. But I, I do think that... But it's ended their Champions League campaign. Quite likely. It looks very... I mean, it's taken an absolute miracle for them to get through now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not saying that losing to Real Madrid ends anything. But they now have Villarreal, Valencia and Athletic. Mm-hmm. With the intergame, Sorry, with the Bayern game in the middle of it, which they absolutely have to win. Right? I don't know about you, but I don't see them winning all three of those. I see them winning two of them, maybe. But I'm not sure I see them winning all three. Hmm. I guess it's important what Real Madrid do as well. Because if Real Madrid yes. don't win... Well, that's the other part of this. Yeah. Of course, Real Madrid, I think, are, are really quite reliable. Hmm. And Real Madrid are in a position in the Champions League where they're pretty much home and dry. Uh, they are. I think they just need a point, don't they, to, uh, to, finish, to finish top. Real Madrid really felt comfortable in this game, didn't they? That is the whole point. <laughs> this, for me, is the, this, for me, is the conclusion to this game. right? And I think... You know, ultimately, they almost weren't comfortable in that Barcelona scored mm. and there's, what is it, six minutes to go plus a bit of added time, maybe 10 minutes to play still. And at that point, Barcelona are starting to make things happen a little bit. Mm. And at that point, you think, hang on, there's a game here. And then there, is another, there. Ch- there is another chance, isn't there? The Sergio and there Roberto is another chance, the, and the Ansu volley. The, the, yeah. And the Ansu volley, mm. that's right, the Ansu one that, that he puts just wide. And at that point, you think, maybe there is a game here. I think one of the reasons there was a game is, and, and forgive me for being a sort of a smart-ass here, I think one of the reasons there is a game in those last 15 minutes is because Madrid never imagined there could be, mm-hmm. if you sort of mean, because it had kind of had been allowed to drift. I don't know about you, but I felt that when Benzema's goal that would have been the third was ruled out, it sort of didn't feel like it mattered. No. Uh, and if anyone know, and if anyone knows that it always matters, it's Real Madrid, because I've said this before about that uh, chance that's cleared off the line against Man City in the Champions League. That didn't feel like it mattered, but mm. suddenly it did. Um, but it did feel like Real Madrid were comfortable. Ancelotti didn't like this idea very much, and I can understand why. He was essentially accused last night of not having gone in for the kill, of not having gone in and really destroyed Barcelona. And he said, look, come on. And he said, he said, he said that's a thing of the past, this idea of go for a goleada. I want to win, and that's it. And he also said... He was, they used the phrase, why didn't you press down on the accelerator? And he said, we pressed on the accelerator mm. to the very end. I actually don't think that's entirely true. But I do think they felt comfortable. I, I've not seen, I don't think, Madrid look that comfortable in the Clasico for mm. quite a while. Um, and, and yet, as I say, in the end, they mm. almost weren't. And it is just one game. And I don't want to extrapolate conclusions that are too big from this. But there were, for me, lots of conclusions. The slowness of the possession from Barcelona, the lack of clarity about what they were doing with the two wingers. And I, I, I still personally have problems with the idea of Dembélé and mm. Rafinha both playing. Not least because I think they both want to be in the same place and they can't both be in the same place. Um, I think that I know it's partly conditioned by temporary circumstance. In fact, it's absolutely conditioned by temporary circumstance. But I don't know about you, but by the time the Clasico got to the final minute and he thought, so wait a minute, Barcelona's two fullbacks are Jordi Alba and Sergio Roberto. And there's a bit of you that kind of thinks, wow, all this revolution for these two to be your fullbacks. And again, that's unfair and I don't necessarily want to point at those two. But I did think there was something kind of telling in that. You know, some sort of, 
is this really where we've got to about that, you know? Um, and I also think there is, I'm not going to go so far as to say a problem because absolutely Robert Lewandowski is not a problem. But I do think there is a slight issue, which is that, is this the only striker you've got? Is this what you're going to rely on? He is a striker who we've seen do a lot of really good things this season. And I actually think disguise some flaws in their, in their play. But of course, he is also a striker who needs the ball take being, to be given to him occasionally. And I, I thought he looked really frustrated yesterday. You know what? I, I, I actually disagreed with, with some colleagues of mine. We were talking about this post-game. I said I thought Lewandowski played well and they all looked at me like I was mad. Because I watched him be alone and fight and try and make space and try and open the game up and try and hold the ball up and try and make things happen in a way that I thought the people around him really weren't doing. That's interesting. I think or you're the only person anyway. I've heard say that. But I, I respect your opinion yeah. enormously and not least because you were there as well. So you got a, uh, a different view. Yeah, I think sometimes that kind of mm. thing in a stadium is different because you do see the movement more. There's also another moment which I thought was very significant. And again, it's a snapshot, and I don't want to read too much from a snapshot, but I think it's a recurring thing. There's a moment in the first half when Barca, I think they move it up to the right. Anyway, it comes Mm -hmm. into Pedri in the middle. And he does that thing of receiving from the left. Sorry, they move up the left. Receiving from the left, open his body out to, to, to play the obvious pass up the right, you know, to move the ball onto the other side of the pitch, where, of course, there's a fullback bombing up into that space, who, because he's on the run, can go straight past Real Madrid and pull the ball back into the area or make the cross or whatever. And he turned to play that pass and he had to stop himself because there was no one there. And it's the most obvious run. It's the most obvious structural positional thing. That's that box of space. You run into it. That's what we do. And Pedri turned. He's like, oh, is no one going to run into there or what? Uh, Sid, tell me, what's it like in in your carriage? Because it's standing room only in, in my carriage on the... Fede Valverde hype train. <laughs> Everybody's been jumping on. It was pretty empty when we started our journey, and now it's absolutely packed. Not least, we've we've let him on board. Tony Cruz has joined. We've let him on. Yeah. He's got, he bought a ticket. You know, a first class. Tony Cross tweeting after the game. Fede Valverde, top three in the world right now. Another massive performance from Fede Valverde. Yeah, he was the official man of the match. Scored a magnificent goal. If you look at his. Statistics in terms of goal scoring and the improvement, it's pretty eye-catching. It's five in 14 appearances this season when it had been six in his previous 152 appearances for Real Madrid across all competitions. That has quite a lot to do with the difference in position as well, where he's playing and the idea that the coaching staff have for how they're going to use this player. Because do you remember, about a year ago, he was viewed as possibly the understudy for Casemiro. In this squad, that's how he was viewed as, okay, maybe that's not his best position, but that's what he can sort of do rather than being this monstrous uh, presence on the right wing who can just take up the whole of that flank and be so, so definitive and so decisive, both in attack and defence. A lot of things have happened, I think, for Fede Valverde for this metamorphosis to, to, to occur there was an interesting interview with him in El Mundo earlier this year, wasn't there? I don't know if you read it, about how he got a personal life coach and started working the mental aspect as well as what he had to do to get to the, the elite of world football. He's looking after himself. He's got a personal nutritionist now. He says it's not that he used to binge eat. Uh, you know, He looked after himself, but after matches, perhaps he didn't necessarily eat what he should have. But now he does. 
He's looking after himself physically and mentally like a world-class elite player. And I tell you what, Tony Cross has won the World Cup. He's won the Champions League. Yeah, Tony Cross knows he's what he's talking He's won the Champions about. League yeah. four times. He plays next to uh, the Ballon d'Or winner from 2018 and the Ballon d'Or winner from this year, which is Karim Benzema. He knows what a world-class player is and, and what one looks like. And Fede Valverde is that right now. Yeah, I think there. Are, I think there are lots of elements to to this shift with Valverde that are really interesting. And one of the ones that I really like is this one that Valverde himself said yesterday. Are you ready Go for on. this? He said, "We knew, and obviously this is about yesterday's game, but I think it's a broader trend, right?" He said, "We knew that if Modric dropped in to receive, and Dani Carvajal went up the line, I would have the opportunity to come inside and receive the ball behind their midfielders." Now. The reason why I say this is because of that word inside. And I think this is the big change with Fede Fede Valverde this season, is that that ability to cover the whole of the right wing, and remember we've talked about how what Fede Valverde has done is changed the way we talk about players, because we talk about horizontal lines Hmm. on the pitch. Defence, midfield, attack. Valverde was a vertical Hmm. line. What's your position? The right. (laughs) The whole of the right. Well, what's happening, I think, this year, one of the things that's happening, and this has been seen in the goals, is yes, it's the right, but it's the right inside now. It's not out on the touch. And he's getting closer and closer to the middle of the pitch. And I think that that means that when he takes off, when he starts on those runs, he's getting to positions which are even better mm-hmm. for shooting. I think he's watching the ball go to the left and then coming right inside to receive. And that's what happened on the goal yesterday. You know, that goal is basically taken from the penalty mm-hmm. spot, but mm-hmm. further back in terms of when he receives it. And he actually takes it like a penalty. He has the time to control it and sort of decide on his corner. And he side-foots it. And he, by the way, he side-foots it incredibly mm. hard. And he strikes it so cleanly that although it's a side-footer and although it's placed, it's got enough power on it. And so I think that's part of it, that willingness to kind of come inside and get further up the pitch. I think that, that just, just kind of if like a, a, an emotional thing of I'm going to get there, I'm going to get there and, and therefore being involved, of taking responsibility for things. And I think what we've seen from him this year is that I think we've seen more of a footballer from him. We've seen, and you know, that's a very reductionist phrase, but bear with me. We've seen the athlete in Fede Valverde. You know, we've seen the multiple lungs. We've seen the coverage of the pitch. We've seen the long balls. I think we're seeing much, much better interchange with players now. Mm. Much better short passing. And, and, and obviously the goals are a part of that as well. And I think it's been really, really interesting to watch. And you say that, you know, last year he was seen as a replacement for... At for the start Casemiro. of the season, I think, He's yeah. Been, Yes, absolutely. And it's been all sorts Mm. of things. And of course, in a way, when you're all sorts of things, it partly reflects an idea that, yeah, I'm not really sure he's the best in any of Mm. these things. And in a way, I think what's happened now is Ancelotti, by virtue of just trying to find somewhere on the pitch for him, but sort of letting him be himself, even from that position, Mm. because he knows that he has the legs to be everywhere, has ended up finding this role for him, which is perfect. I don't know what position he plays in. The answer is he plays in all of them. Uh, which leads me on to the tweet that I put out a few hours ago. I think a team of 11 Fede Valverdes might win the league. Yes, it would. It would. I've said this before. I said this once about Dani Alves. He's one of the few players that you could put him everywhere and he'd win the league. I think Valverde is even better. Yeah. I, I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. Um, I think he could do just about everything. I don't know how good he'd be in the air as a central defender. But I reckon he'd be all I right. I think he could do everything. Is I reckon mate? he'd be all right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I reckon he'd be all right. Um, and, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if he could play in goal a bit as well. Yeah, uh, I checked. He's the same height as Ica Casillas. So, you know, he's not massive, but 
yeah. an acceptable height for a goalkeeper. Anyway, yeah. there we go. Had to have a bit of Fede Valverde love after his uh, man of the match. By the way, here's the a question for you. Yeah, Tony Cruz says he's one of the best free players in the world. I assume he means best free players, not just best free midfielders. Because I must admit, my initial response three. to this was, was he means midfielders. And of course, the other two are him and Modric. <laughs> uh, I think it means players, and the other I think one he is, might do. The other one is Benzema, and and the other is, I suppose, Haaland or Mbappe or someone. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think it's Modric. I think the other one is because Modric. By the way, to be fair as well, Valverde was brilliant yesterday, but I thought Modric and Cruz were fantastic. Oh, as what well. a game from Cross! I mean, really, yeah. honestly, it's one of his yeah. one of his one of his best games for for yeah, Real Madrid. I thought he was. I thought he was absolutely brilliant yesterday. He was absolutely sensational. All right. That was El Clasico. That was our look back at El Clasico. Lots of other things that we could have talked about, but we're going to move on and talk about other stuff. Like I said, send us a question. We'll answer it on the Q&A pod tomorrow. Uh, let's uh, briefly talk about Athletic Club Nil, Atletico Madrid 1, Antoine Griezmann with a really, really nice finish for the only goal uh, of the game. Him and, him and Alvaro Morata starting up front. I don't mean to be reductionist, and that's a word that you use a lot, but... You've got Spain's starting centre forward and, and France's starting forward. I mean, this is this has got to be Atletico Madrid's best best pair up front, hasn't it? Yes. I mean, you know, they've got other course, options. Obviously, they've it, got Cunha, they've got Correa, they've got Jao Felix. But these two together, these are the two best forwards they have. Yes, absolutely they are. And and the, the part of the issue with that, I suppose, is that then you ask yourself, what do you do with the guy who costs you 126 million euros? You sell him, yes, or or you change managers. Yeah, you play a different style. I I I felt I don't know about you, but I felt with this game. And to be fair to Atletico, it's kind of been happening a little bit the last two or three weeks. This is three wins in a row. Mm-hmm. Starting to see the beginning of a sense of who they want to be, if not necessarily always a convincing one, right? And I don't know about you, but I think two forwards and two lines of four. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what Atletico should do. Hmm. And, and you know, try and put people in the... T- well, you know, this guy can't play, he can't play. Joao Felix is on the bench, let him be on the bench. Correa, hmm. I realize, I appreciate that Correa is problematic because, you know, he always performs for you. But to be honest, all right, don't play him. Or have him as a wide midfielder in a four. Um, you know, they, they, I, I agree with you on this. I, I, I agree with you. I, I, th- I think these two should be the starting forwards. Um, I, it was interesting to hear Griezmann speak afterwards. Obviously, big milestone goal for him. 100 uh, league goals for Atletico Madrid. And afterwards, he said sorry. He said, I'm, ver- I'm yeah. sorry to Atletico fans, to anyone who was upset by any of my actions. This was very sincere and open from him, apologising basically for his documentary and some of his behaviour and going yeah. to Barcelona and the way he came back. I mean, remember last season when he came back, a lot of people weren't very happy to see him. No, absolutely. And I actually think, given the, the mess of the 60-minute thing, that there's been that people have been relatively tolerant of him this year, mm. considering he was in this difficult position and that, that he came back last year and they weren't that happy. But I think one of the things that wins people over with Griezmann, and I, I believe I've said this before, but is that I can't think of many stars who do the work that he does. And he yeah. is a star, and we shouldn't forget that. And, and I, think, I think people sometimes do. Uh, this is a guy that I think should have won the Ballon d'Or, which year was it? 2016. Um, or at least should have been talked, out, talked about a little bit more as a genuine candidate. Mm. Um, who has been, I think, at an extraordinary level for big chunks of his career, and whose biggest mistake was going to Barcelona. Mm. Um, not necessarily because it was a terrible decision when it was taken. It turned out to be one. I think, I think it was plausible that that should have worked. In fact, 
given his talent and what he was surrounded by, it should have worked. Um, and I think he's sometimes suffered for how solidario he is. What do you call that in English? Generous, I suppose. Yeah. In, in his effort and so on. Um, but I think he's I think he's a brilliant player, and, and I think he does care. And I think that's one thing that's won Atletico Madrid fans over. I think he's been a bit daft a few times. He's you know he's not always helped himself, but but I think fundamentally get him on the pitch, and I think he's totally beyond reproach on mm. the pitch. Do you know who else was huge last night, not last night, on Saturday night, was Reynildo. What an unbelievable performance from the Mozambique defender, who's turning out to be one of the best signings that Atletico Madrid have made in recent years. I think, did he only cost €3 million? Did I read that? I must admit, I can't remember what it cost, but it wasn't a massive signing in terms of the money. Um, I, I think he's an interesting player because he's that, he's kind of... He wasn't supposed to be... He's sort of that hybrid between left-back and centre-back, isn't he? He's sort of that role where, where you... Well, I think he wasn't when he joined. He was, he was a left-back when he yes, joined. Yes, and then he yeah. became the centre-back. Yeah, yeah. And he became the centre-back because Simeone was trying to crowbar into a three. Hmm. And, and so it's like, well, we can put him there. And, it, and he sort of has a bit of both. And he's, I suppose part of that is because as full-backs go, certainly as... Uh, how do I phrase this? As modern fullbacks go, and I, I realise that modern's not a great phrase, mm. he's big and strong and athletic and aggressive mm. rather than the sort of, you know, the Jordi Alba fullback or the, I don't know, the, the, the fullback who's about the technical quality. He's tough as well as all the other things. There's that one, the one block that he does mm. where he comes out of nowhere and it's, it, I know this is a bit of a cliche, but it's kind of body on the line stuff. And you think, yeah, I, I kind of want that from my defenders. And I know that Simeone does. Oh, my goodness. Yes, he does. <laughs> yes, he does. Uh, but yeah, it was. He was given the man of the match. And you, you don't often get, you see the man of the match award given to, uh, it's, it's usually whoever scored the goal. Really. Yeah, to be honest, the man of the match awards are normally exceptionally unimaginative, aren't they? <laughs> yes, but Ronaldo. <laughs> Uh, Ronaldo got it and, and, and rightly so. By the way, Jan Oblak going off uh, in this game and he's replaced by Ivo Grubic who uh, came on and, and made a good save. Uh, Oblak, it was, it was strange because he, he seemed to have injured his, his shoulder but then the medic said that he said that he couldn't remember the incident. Yeah. So obviously he must have had some kind of head injury. He tried yeah, to play on. You can't see it, can you? You can't no. see any, any sign of that being where it's from but... But, I mean, the fact that you can remember it obviously means that's it. I, I, I don't think La Liga has quite the same concussion protocol as the Premier League, but I think if a doctor is in a position where a player is saying, I don't remember what happened, that's it, you, you, you come off. Mm. And he did, and he probably won't be available for the uh, midweek game against Rio Vallecano tomorrow. Yes, that's right. We've got midweek La Liga coming up for you. Uh, before we go, we really have to just give a tiny, eeny, weeny bit of love for La Real. Who are yes. level on points with Atletico Madrid and Betis on 19. They've all got 19 points. Atletico third um, on, on goal difference. But La Real have got the same number of points with them. They've had a huge number of injuries. Loads of their strikers are out. Obviously, Mikel Oyarzabal's been out for months. Their record signing, Umar Sadiq, got instantly injured for the whole season. They brought in Mohamed Ali Cho in the summer. He came in, looked really exciting on the wing. And he got injured as well. And they just keep going so shout out to La Real uh, for that big win and what they're doing and I just love the way Imanol Aguafil he just gets on with it he really yeah. doesn't dwell on it he just says right we'll find players we've got young players we've got the squad they'll just play yeah absolutely that and and you know the, these are 
These are key, key players that have been absent. He's, yeah. he's shifted the way that they play a little bit. They, they've, they've kind of moved players inside a little bit more. We were talking about this last week, weren't we? That idea of the diamond in the middle of the pitch, but it's a diamond yep. plus one because you've got yep. Kubo in there as well. And they're, they're, they're a really, really nice team to watch. Well done. Well done, Lareal. Good work. Great work. Uh, before we go, the, uh, <laughs> the Segunda División, what happened on Saturday night, Sid? Oh, shit. <laughs> Sydney drove to Albacete from Madrid. It's not close. It's a good couple of hours drive, isn't it? Two and a half. Two yeah. and a half hours drive, Saturday night, to watch Oviedo lose 1-0 to Albacete. They sacked their manager, John Pérez Bolo, and their sporting director. And they're going to get a new manager. Uh, at the time of recording, we don't know who that new manager is, but we think we do. Anyway, more on that when it's confirmed. Elsewhere in the Segunda, Las Palmas atop after their 1-0 win at Ponferradina. Alaves are a point behind them. They won 1-0 at Andorra on Friday. Burgos are third. They finally conceded a goal. It was a 95th minute equaliser against Mirandes in their local derby. But then they went on to score in the 103rd minute to win 2-1. So an absolutely it's ridiculous, isn't it? ridiculous yeah, end to that game. But yeah, they hadn't conceded. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. It's even better than it sounds. Because, of course, they did finally concede that goal. Yeah. But at this point, the goalie's not on the pitch. Ah. He's been sent off. So he... He still has an unbeaten record. Oh, well, there we go. Perfect. <laughs> Very good indeed. Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be amazing if he now just carried on? Just yeah. like kept, kept on doing it. Yeah, Extraordinary. Yeah. Incredible. Uh, finally, then, we do have midweek at La Liga. These are the fixtures uh, coming up. Tuesday night, Sevilla against Valencia. Woof, pretty tasty. Getafe against Athletic Club. You're going to that, Sid? I'll be that, yeah. And I'll be at Atletico Madrid against Rayo. Then on Wednesday, uh, an Andalusian derby. Cadiz against Betis. Valladolid against Celta. Real, uh, La Real against Mallorca and Elche against Real Madrid. You going to any of those? No, I'm only going to the... the uh, my mind's gone. What was it? Getafe again. Yeah. Okay. And then on Thursday, Almeria Girona, Osasuna Espanyol. And a big, big game at the camp now. Barcelona against Villarreal. Uh, enjoy the midweek football. We'll be back tomorrow on Tuesday for the Q&A podcast and then later in the week uh, to round up everything that's happened in that midweek round of fixtures. So come and join us, patreon.com forward slash TSFP. Otherwise, we'll be here as ever on a Monday, next Monday. Adios. Cheerio. Network.